0: listening to audio from Memphis Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit memphiscc.info. Good Good to be with you guys this morning. Go ahead and pull out your Bibles. We're gonna be in Romans chapter eight. If you're new with us this morning or this is your first time to MCC, we want to welcome you and and let you know that we're excited that you're here and excited to get to open up God's word together. If you need a Bible, there's one hopefully in one of the seats in front of you that you can pull out. And if you want to take that home, you're more than welcome to do that. But we're going to be looking right here in Romans chapter eight and a great promise that Paul has given us, the Holy Spirit has given us through Paul. But before we do that, I want to pray because the Holy Spirit does this work inside of us where as we open up God's Word and we read, He helps us understand and He helps us discern what it is that we're reading. And so our prayer this morning should be that God would reveal truth to us and in the context of this full disclosure series, specifically what we're seeking to do is to replace some of those counterfeit identities that the world has placed on us or that we have placed on ourselves and to replace those with the identity that God has for us. And so my prayer this morning is that as we read, as we open up this text, as we dig into it, that God would show us this deep reality about who we are in him. So let's pray for that. Father, as always, we thank you for your word. And Lord, for this spirit that you've given us. And we're gonna talk this morning about one of the great works of this spirit. But right now, our prayer is that You would help us understand, help us to discern what it is that you have to say about yourself and what it is that you have to say about us. And Lord, that as we understand those truths and those realities more deeply, that we would leave here encouraged and refreshed and energized and lifted up to go and proclaim to the world what you've done and what you continue to do. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to do that and for allowing us to be in your word this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, here in Romans 8, Paul expresses something that every single one of us who are in Christ, every Christian believer experiences. And I think that we go through seasons where we experience this more deeply than in other seasons, but at some point, this is something that we're going to come up against. He says, beginning in verse 22, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing, sorry, this is 18, comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed for the creation was subjected to frustration not, only, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. And the verse 22 says, we know The whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And of course, Paul's talking about up to his present time, but now to our present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. What Paul is talking about here is this felt disconnect between who we are today and who we will be in the future, this future hope that we are looking towards. Last week, Dave talked about our confidence, this confidence that we have in Christ and ended with that great hope that all of us who are in Christ, all of us who have this spirit will one day see Jesus face to face. And that is an incredibly encouraging promise that every single one of us should lean on that there will be a day when we will be made whole, when we will be perfected, we will be glorified as God's word says. And in that day and for the rest of eternity, you will no longer wrestle with those things that you're wrestling with today. You'll no longer wrestle with that sin and those struggles and those hardships that we face today. And and every single one of us should lean into that and it it should fuel our faith and how we live our life. And yet, there are times when we're filled with this desperation. We're filled with this inward groaning, as Paul puts it, that we have not yet attained to that future reality, that we are not there yet, that things just are not as they should be, that my life right now is just not as it should be, that I, I've not yet gotten there. I'm waiting for full adoption into God's kingdom. And in the meantime, I'm here, I'm living in the day-to-day, I'm dealing with pain and hardship that have come my way, or even the anxiety of pain and hardship that will come my way. I'm dealing with unresolved sin, perhaps addiction and broken relationships, a failing marriage. I'm dealing with areas of my life that I've not yet fully surrendered to God. I'm dealing with stress and anxiety and depression and all of these things that seem to weigh us down. And ultimately, what I'm dealing with is a lack of confidence in my ability to be who God has called me to be, to do what God has called me to do. And so the question comes to my mind am I capable of this? Am I capable of living the life of a Christ follower? and all that that entails, and all the things that come with being a believer and being a Christian and following Jesus, will I ever find myself on this side of heaven attaining to who it is that God wants me to be? Now, the world has an answer to this disconnect that we're talking about, a lie that we have appropriated into our faith. You remember, as a child, even as early as elementary school, we were told, you can do whatever you want to do. You can be whoever you want to be. If you just work hard enough, try hard enough, put enough effort into it, sometimes just think on it long enough, then you can be whatever you want to be. And what happens when we take this idea of putting enough effort into our lives to be who we want to be or to be who the the world calls us to be, and we appropriate it into our faith, is that we come to believe that this goal of attaining to being conformed to the image of, the, of Jesus, that it is dependent entirely on me, that it's dependent on my effort, that God did this great work that we celebrate every time we take communion of, of, of attaining for us our salvation, and now that we've attained that, the rest of it is on me. It's my work to do this, and we forget, we forget that it's not my work. But what happens when that doesn't work? When we put forth all of the effort and all of the hard work, so to speak, and no matter how much we do that, we never seem to get any closer. I never seem to be any closer to being like Jesus than I I was yesterday, where I keep wrestling with the same things over and over again. And I begin to wonder if even that part of salvation was really true, was really true. Because the ultimate conclusion is that if I can't work hard enough to become like Jesus and look like him, then I must not be his to begin with. That's what Satan tells us. That I've not yet attained to this, then this bit back here must not have been true. And this is where I want us to step into Paul's answer to the disconnect. To that groaning that we feel in our lives and the promise of what God is going to do through it, Look at verses 26 and 27. He writes, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. You may be groaning, You may find yourself in this place of desperation wondering if you're capable of living differently. But Paul tells you that spirit that you have inside of you, that spirit that you received when you believed in Jesus Christ, that spirit is also groaning, but his groans are much different than yours. They don't look like yours. What I want you to do for a moment is take yourself to that most secret place where you spend time with God. That place where you can talk to God and be heard by him, but nobody else can hear you, your your prayer closet, so to speak. And I want you to find yourself in that place and just think about those times that you have prayed, God, I I can't do this. I, I don't have what it takes to be who you've called me to be. I'm not capable of letting go of this. I don't have the heart. I don't have the conviction. I don't have the courage. Nothing that you ask of me. And what's worse, God, I don't even know how to ask the question. I don't even know what it is that I'm asking for. Take yourself to that place and think about the emotions that are running through your heart and your mind as you wrestle over these things in your life that you've not yet submitted to God and you wonder how to do it. And I want you to think about the amazing reality, the thing that Paul is explaining to you and me here, that while you are in that place, down on your knees, praying that childlike prayer, Daddy, I don't even know what to do. I don't know what to ask. That there is this invisible work that is going on between God's spirit that is inside of you and God the Father, this God that created you. This God that knows you more intimately and deeply than you could ever know yourself. Because in that moment, that very spirit is simultaneously communicating with the Father on your behalf. And he is telling him what it is that you need. That is an amazing reality that we cannot meditate on long enough. It's one of the greatest mysteries of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, this intercessory prayer on your behalf, even when you don't even have the words to ask for what it is you need. The Spirit is asking the Father to give you what you need. Remember when your kids were young? If you have kids, nobody could understand them except for you. My grandmother is 80 years old. My son is 10. He speaks very, very clearly. And yet, when I'm over at her house, even to this day, he'll say something to her, and she'll look at me and say, now, what did he say? I'm like, he speaks English. Like, I know he speaks. But, but there was a point in time in his life when he was just learning how to form words that to anybody else except to me and his mother, it sounded like complete gibberish. Why? Because we'd spent all of our time with him. We had watched him learn how to develop words. And so, something that sounds like gibberish to me, it has meaning, it has form. I know what it is that he's asking. And that's what the Spirit's doing, he's taking the gibberish. He's taking the groans, the pains. He's taking your longing and your desperation, and he's communicating it all to the Father. Why? Look at what Paul says next. And this is a verse that you're probably very familiar with. And I want to step it into the context of what he's trying to communicate to us. Because we look at verse 28, and he says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. We know this verse, but look at the context. Look at what he's trying to get us to connect. That you don't know what you ought to pray for, and the Spirit is interceding to the Father to tell him what it is that you need, even when you're not sure. And God himself is orchestrating and working out everything in such a way that you who love him and have been called according to his purpose, have all good things. That he wants to give us all good things. To what end? He says in verse 29, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That he gives you all things that lead you to looking more like Jesus today than you did yesterday. That God is pleased to do that. And this is where the argument really begins to pick up. And I love what Paul says next in verse 31. He says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, if he's willing to give us all things, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Notice the use of that same phrase, all things, as in verse 28. And what Paul is communicating to you who have this interceding spirit, the argument is like this, that God did something impossibly difficult in achieving your salvation and mine. He gave up his one and only son. He allowed all one part of the three-person trinity to condescend down to earth and take on human flesh. Flesh, by the way, that he will wear for the rest of eternity. And he did this for the express purpose of dying a horrible and painful death on the cross, just as David said, in order to pay the penalty for all of those things that you feel incapable of doing, for all of those ways that you fall short. For everything that causes you to feel that disconnect between who you are today and in who God desires you to be in this future glorified self that we're working towards. And because God has always existed in three persons and every part of God's persons loves the other infinitely and perfectly, for Him to give up one part of Himself in order to do this was impossibly difficult. We can't even imagine how difficult this was, and yet God did it. He so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. That is what God did. And now here's the logic. That if God was willing to do that impossibly hard thing, then would he not also be willing to do something easy in comparison? Certainly, impossibly difficult by our standards, but easy in comparison to what he had already done in giving up his son. Like, if I told you that I was willing to drive you right now at my own expense to the West Coast, then would it make sense for me to charge you the amount of gas money it takes to get to Sellersburg? That's what Paul is communicating. That if I'm willing to do this great thing, then surely I'm willing to do something lesser. That is what God has done, that's what God has demonstrated that because he was willing to do this impossibly hard thing, then the Father showed his willingness to do this other thing, which is what? To give you all things for your good. All things needed for you to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. So now we connect this with the reality The Spirit himself is praying for you as you pray, even though you don't know what to pray. God is willing to give up Jesus. Surely then he's willing to give you the things that his Spirit is asking for on your behalf. We see all parts of God working together in our lives as Christ's followers. The Father's work and the Holy Spirit's work and the Son's work all working together for our good and for all of those things that we need. Puritan pastor John Flavel wrote, Surely if God would not spare his own son one stroke, one tear, one groan, one sigh, one circumstance of misery, it can never be imagined that ever he should deny or withhold from his people any mercies, any comforts, any privilege which is good for them. God's willing to do this, so surely he's going to do this for us who are in Christ. He will not withhold anything from you that leads you towards being conformed to the image of his son. And so here's the ultimate point that we're driving at and that the text of the passage is driving us to that we need this from God in order to attain to the person that he's calling us to be. We cannot do it on our own. You cannot do it on your own no matter how much effort you put into it. You don't have the strength you don't have the ability, you don't have the willpower or the wherewithal to do it. And as long as you continue buying into the lie, the world tells you that you have everything inside of yourself to be who you wanna be, then you'll miss this reality. You'll miss this point. You'll always feel this disconnect. The promise is that God is the one who is going to make you capable. He is the one who is going to give you what you need according to the groaning of his spirit and in his will in order to change your hearts. God will give you all that you need, all good things in order to do this, you who love him and are called according to his purpose. Here's the challenge that we face. We sometimes, we oftentimes, have a different definition than God of what's for our good and what isn't. My son hates shots because they're painful. And, and I'm fortunate that he hasn't had to have one in the last couple of years. But in those moments where we go in for a shot, I have to just hold him tight because he fights it so much and he's getting stronger than I am. I'm gonna have a hard time fighting him. But I've got to hold him tight and let it happen because I know that it's for his good. I know that he's gonna experience a little bit of pain, just a little, they always call it a little pinch. It's always worse than a little pinch. They call it a little pinch, a little bit of pain But I know in the long run it's for his good. And so I hold him as tightly as I can. And I try to soothe him and I try to tell him why it's for his good. See, in a world that seeks to dull pain, we live in a world that seeks all means necessary in order to dull pain. We often get into our heads that things are only good if they don't cause suffering and hardship or discomfort. And anything that does cause any of these things must not be for my good. That is not the message the Bible gives me. That in order for us to grasp the full range of what Paul is communicating, we need to understand that he is writing this in the context of suffering. He started in verse 18. We consider our present sufferings not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. If you go to verse 36, he says they had been facing death all day long. Paul is not writing this in a season of comfort and ease, but in a season of great difficulty, of hardship and suffering. In fact, Paul's life after he encountered Christ was nothing but hardship and suffering. And that's something that's noteworthy for you and me who believe that any kind of pain in this life must mean that God is punishing us or that God has abandoned us. How quickly... Do we, do we draw that conclusion when we face something difficult? That God has punished me or that, that God has abandoned me. Surely he's not with me anymore because he's allowing me to experience this. But the reality is that suffering is an important and necessary part of how God does his work in you. That the Bible shows us time and time again that pain and hardship produce the deepest and most authentic trust in God to provide for the needs of his people. It's in the deserts of life that God shows up and does the work of giving us the things that we need. It's in the deserts of our heart that God shows up and He comforts us and He gives us that peace that surpasses understanding, a peace that the world cannot hope to understand because they've never experienced it in their own life. And yet, we who are in this room who have faced the most difficult challenges, we look back and we recognize that those were the seasons that God gave us what we needed. It makes sense if you think about it. Because when we look back in our lives as Christ's followers and we consider those times where we have felt God's presence the most, trusted him the most, relied on his provision the most, does your mind go to easier hard seasons? Does it remember back to the times when everything seemed to be going well or when nothing seemed to be going well? Seasons of health or seasons of sickness, seasons of gain or seasons of loss. And I don't think that any of us would say that our greatest growth came from easy times, but from the hard times, from the times that we suffered and the times that we felt pain and the times that we grieved and the times that we were lacking. Those are the times that we see God moving in our lives. And this may seem like a side point, but I bring it up because it's important. That as we seek to ask the question of whether we're capable of living the life that God calls us to live, we must understand that God is the one who makes us capable and he often does it through very difficult circumstances. Through things that we would never wish on ourselves, but come nonetheless. And he says that these are part of the all things That are working together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. These are the all things. Romans 5 says, We glory in our sufferings. We rejoice in our sufferings because we know the suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint or put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We have this hope, but it begins with suffering starts with God allowing us to face those things and then showing how he's going to come through for us in those moments. So what's the overall point? That as you reconcile with this inward groaning, this disconnect between who you are today and who you will be in the future, there's this day-to-day living to be done and we sometimes find ourselves discouraged that we're not far enough along that we're still wrestling with those same old habits and hangups that we haven't submitted some areas fully to God. The world tells you to try harder, that you have it in you, but God promises something different. He says that by yourself, you're not capable, that by yourself, you're not strong, that by yourself, you don't have it in you alone to be conformed to the image of his son. Rather, we understand that by this great interceding spirit living inside of us and only by that spirit are we made capable to be who God has called us to be. That he will give you all things to do that. And sometimes those all things includes hard things that God is gonna turn around for your good. By this time last year, Parker was having a really, just a really rough night. He goes through these seasons where if he's done something really exciting or had a great birthday party or he was on break for a little while, I can, I can almost predict those really, when those really hard nights are gonna come. They're not gonna come the night that he goes back to school, they're gonna come the next night. And so on Monday night, he had just gotten off a two-week fall break, had a great fall break, got up Monday morning, went to school, came home, seemed fine. It's getting close to bedtime and I came out of my bathroom That night and he was curled up in the chair in my bedroom and he was he was whimpering he was almost he was almost groaning when I think back on on kind of the sounds he was making and I went over and I tried to get him to tell me what was going on he was having none of it he just laid there wouldn't share with me what was going through his, his little heart. And so I picked him up and I carried him into the living room and we sat down on the couch and we just, we just sat there for a little bit. And finally, I, I tried to pry out of him what was going on. And I said, I said, buddy, if you'll just tell me, I know I, I can help. I can, I can do something for you. And, and the first words out of his mouth that night were, no, you can't. There's nothing that wrecks a father worse Than his child believing that his problems are too big for him. And that was where he was that night. As as a third grader, he believed that his problems were too big for me to solve. And so we sat there for another 45 minutes and we continued in this way, and I continued to try to get him to tell me what was going on and share with me how his day had been and what it was that got him in this place. And finally he began to talk and and what it boiled down to was that when he got to school that day, the teacher had changed the seating chart. Like like that was what he was experiencing that day. And and I think how silly that is. And yet how bent out of shape do I get when things aren't going the way that I want them to go? When something, I don't like change very much. And obviously he doesn't like change very much either. So I said, well, why, why is that an issue? He said, because he was no longer sitting by his friend and he'd gotten moved back to the class. And he was sitting by this other boy who had said some not nice things to him in the past and who had been uh, just a little disruptive. And I said, well, well I can solve that problem. I'll just, I'll just email the teacher and I'll tell her to move you. And he said, no, no, you can't do that. Because then this boy will know that he was the reason that I got moved. And so we, we, we talked about what it was to how other people feel about us and why we shouldn't be as concerned about that as he is. And we went back and forth on this. And finally, finally he said, and I can't even see the board from back there. And I looked at Amanda, and Amanda looked at me, and we, we realized that this poor kid's genetics had caught up with him <laughs> and that he was going to need glasses. And so I said, well, Parker that is definitely a problem I can solve. And it's one that we should solve. I said, tomorrow we'll call the eye doctor. We'll get you in for an appointment and, and we'll get you some glasses. And that's going to solve the other problem too, because I'm going to email the teacher and tell her you can't sit in the back that you've got to move moved up front so you can see the board. And now you don't have to sit beside this snot nosed kid back here, right? <laughs> like we'll kill two birds with one stone. We'll solve, we'll solve all your problems tonight. So we, we emailed his teacher and we did just that felt better, he settled down and he finally went to sleep next to me and as he was asleep I thought to myself, I hope that the next time this this little boy has a problem that he doesn't think it's too big for me that he's willing to share with me what's going on because I've shown him I've shown him that not only do I have the willingness to help him but I have the capability to help him And when you put those two things together, willingness and capability, I was able to give him all that he needed to go on with the next day. All that he needed to to succeed in his classroom, to see the board, to not have to sit by this other kid. And thinking back on it, I I wish, because I I missed the opportunity at that time, to share with him something even more important and greater. And parents, I encourage you, grandparents, that when these moments present yourself, that you use them as an opportunity to teach your children who God is. Because as much as I am willing and capable to give him what he needs, how much more is God willing and capable to give us what we need? How much more can he look at his heavenly father, not his earthly father, but his heavenly father, and cry out and understand that the spirit that he has inside of him now is telling his heavenly father what it is that he needs. And his heavenly father is willing and capable of giving him all things for his good. That's what I want him to understand. That's what I want us to understand that we get to verse 37 and Paul says no in all of these things in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us we can't get to the more than conquerors until we understand the other part that God is willing and capable to give us all things my prayer is that you would allow this great truth to sink into your soul that you are capable of looking more like Jesus today than you did yesterday. And yes, we will wrestle and we'll groan. And there's this work going on inside of us that says, I'm gonna give you all things that I've called you to do. I will make it possible for you. I'm gonna give you all good things, all things that are for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Let's stand up and let's pray. Father, how often we forget. Lord, I, I know that um, in that moment that Parker was wrestling with something and I was able to, to help him. I, I, I pray that he understands my willingness and my capability to help him, but I also know that he'll forget and I know that because we forget. We forget that in those darkest seasons of our life, you've come through for us and when the next one comes, we We wonder where provisions are going to come next. We wonder if the comfort is going to come, if the peace is going to come, and yet you've never disappointed. You've never proved yourself a liar. You've promised to give us all good things, and that's exactly what you're going to do. And so, Lord, may we not forget, and may we understand that by the Spirit that you've given us that we are more than conquerors, We're more than capable of being who you've called us to be. And we look forward to that day, Lord, when we will see Jesus face to face and we will be perfected. But maybe not lose sight of the gift of living in the day today and the gift of relying on your provision, relying on your strength every single day that we follow this path that you've given us. We love you, Father, and we praise you.